balancing this trade-off of you want to empower citizen developers, and at the same time, you want to make sure that you can still meet your security and compliance requirements. That's, you know, that if you can get that balance right, it's incredibly powerful. But if you get it wrong, it's also incredibly scary. And so that's, you know, that's been our kind of focus with the Power Platform. Well, welcome to Cloud Talk. This week, I have the pleasure of discussing the evolution, which has become the revolution of the citizen developer, all powered by the low-code, no-code movement with Mr. Scott Guthrie, Corporate Vice President of Azure and AI over at Microsoft. Now, make sure you stick around through the entire episode. I've got some great information for you towards the end, as well as a preview of our next episode, where we return to the Founder Series, a series which we started just a few months ago. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more, well, it's no small mission, but it is the mission of Microsoft. And while Microsoft has been extraordinarily busy advancing operating systems and data centers and Azure services, enhancing 365, Office 365, and revolutionizing the device market, well, several years ago, they set out to grow and mature the capabilities for a new class of software developer, which we now know as the citizen developer. Now, joining me today to dig deeper into this persona and the life of the citizen developer is longtime Microsoft employee, Mr. Scott Guthrie, Executive Vice President of the Cloud and AI Group over at Microsoft. Scott, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. It's oh, great to man. be here. It's great to have you here. We've known each other for a little while, so it's fun to get to do something like this finally. Definitely. Okay, so how many years at Microsoft? Uh, this is my 24th year. 24th year. And what was your very first job? I was an intern in 1996 working on the Windows NT operating system. <laughs> wow. My, so I, my, when did 1996? So 1995 was when I took my first Microsoft certification on, on Windows NT and Exchange 5.5 and all the other fun things. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, time flies in the technology space. It really does. So over here at Rackspace, we've been thinking a lot about and watching a lot and observing and listening to our customers uh, around this whole citizen developer, the whole low code, no code thing. Um, from Microsoft's perspective, let's let's define it uh, before we jump in any farther. Well, I think you know the low code, no code um, model. I kind of think is is really around you know how do you empower more people in an organization to build and adapt solutions, yeah. and not require that you have to write professional code, so like C sharp or Java, um, but at the same you know and and so have something that's very approachable. But at the same time, you know I think one thing we've learned from low code, no code is you still need some level of IT control and. Yeah security, compliance, policy, those are all really important as well. And so, you know, what we've tried to do at Microsoft with our Power Platform, which includes Power BI, Power Apps, Power Automate, and Power Virtual Agent, 
is build a set of SaaS-based tools that, that can be used standalone. They also work great with Office 365, Dynamics 365, Azure, and uh, hundreds of other SaaS applications, uh, and really enable you to, as a uh, uh, professional IT or citizen developer, build great solutions um, and uh, hopefully achieve more. Yeah, hopefully achieve more along the way. So, uh, but it's not a, a new venture, that whole Plower platform, uh, how it's matured today. I mean, you guys have been about empowering the business community inside of organizations for years. I mean, it started way back, you could even say, even in the, the early parts of the office suite. But there have been attempts in the past, not attempts, it's the wrong way to put it. There have been, um, there have been pushes with specific products that have really helped enable individuals to be more productive. I mean, I think about stuff like um, Microsoft Access, for one, you know, where you could take and give a business person access to some tooling that would enable them to create simple solutions on their desktop initially to create some solutions to help them solve their day. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've always recognized at Microsoft is there's a long tail of applications and business problems that organizations want to solve. And there's going to be kind of the tier one apps that are mission critical to the organization. And those typically is where you know, you, you do put professional developers or professional teams involved, but there's, you know, literally thousands of small problems and small business processes that, you know, historically were done with paper. Now they're being done with email uh, or spreadsheets and, you know, and yet they're important problems. And so yeah. if you can create tools, whether it was Access and SharePoint historically or Excel even uh, way back when, um, or more recently our Power Platform, you know, that can really enable someone to build a solution and do it quickly and solve a key problem. Um, you know, you can really make that person a hero in the environment and you can really, you know, help the company transform uh, at a much faster pace. Right. I think that, you know, as we look at how that has evolved, um, I think that SharePoint was really one of those early applications. I think it really lended itself to its meteoric rise in, in adoption is it finally gave IT some arms to wrap around what the business was doing and, and manage that data while still giving individuals some freedom to create solutions um, that would solve specific problems. Um, I worked for a number of years ago, uh, a large financial services firm, and uh, and they created a solution. It was a solution in SharePoint, even just on on Team Server WSS at the time, and and it was simply a way for them to track in in uh, for their customers, their most important customers, when specific life events would occur that they would need to reach back out, and they would happen at three month, six month, or twelve month inter intervals. But a lot of times, the personnel in that department would move. So they went knocking on, on IT's door and they said, look, I think if we can, you could give us some kind of a calendaring app that would have reminders that would remind us of who to call when, we could probably make the company $50 million more million a year. And while everyone agreed and nodded their heads, IT with its current staff was solving for problems that measured immeasurably larger than that. And they didn't have time to work on it. So off to SharePoint, they went to create some customizations to a calendaring app and went off and, and made the company $50 million more million a year. And I think it's a great example of enabling individuals with centrally managed tools. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll give you another example that's even more topical, you know, given the current COVID-19 crisis, you know, is uh, something we heard from a lot of hospitals this spring where, you know, they were running out of masks and PPE equipment. 
mm-hmm. and they had an immediate problem. It wasn't like they needed an RFP. It wasn't like they could hire professional developers to go build a solution. You know, they basically needed to track, you know, by floor, by ward, how many masks do we have left and how do we triage? And that, you know, there's some commonality there, but there's a lot yeah. of differences per hospital in terms of how it's handled, floor size, inventories, et cetera. And, you know, someone in the power platform community built an app uh, very quickly. Then they were in, they, they were hospital employees, but they knew the domain, they understood mm-hmm. a lot of the core requirements. And then they published it into the marketplace and made it free. And, you know, we've now had more than 1400 hospitals deployed and implemented it in the span of about seven days. And what's great is each hospital could then go in and they could, they could tweak it with Mm -hmm. their own custom domain or business rules. But, you know, again, not required developers. These are people that are on the wards, you know, in the hospital, in a crisis situation. And, um, you know, they were able to have security, they were able to have compliance, and more importantly, they were able to solve a business need that had just scaled beyond what you could manage with uh, paper and pen, which is how they historically, you know, track of masks. They never had to worry about running out in the middle of the day. They would just at the end of the day go and, and count them up manually, and, and now it was automated. And that, that type of speed to market of something that is a business problem that was paper and pen before, um, you know, that's a kind of dramatic example. But, you know, if you think about your organization or the, the companies you work with, there are thousands of business processes like that. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you can automate those and if you can solve them, you know, you can really make a huge impact. Um, and that, you know, I, that really is what low code, no code is all about. Letting someone who has domain knowledge of a problem solve it and do it at scale um, for the organization. That's such a great example. And it calls out, of course, it's not just the fact that you can get it done because you don't have to go to IT necessarily for it, but the amount of time that gets gets just just taken off of that entire project because you don't have to go through a whole business requirements of helping somebody in IT or a contracting company uh, understand what your business is. These are folks who live the business. Then you know, I can imagine on those floors, it's nurses, it's uh, and everybody that that serves in and around them being able to not only just utilize the thing, but but make adjustments to it. So speed and time to market. That's an incredible um, benefit of the low code, no code. And with this mass digitization that we've seen this year, I mean, all the work that's happened this year was on the on the you know it was on the radar. But it, who was it I was talking to? Peter Coffey over at um, Salesforce said 2022 sure got here an awful lot earlier than we planned on it. Uh, and so that just creates such a uh, a surface area of opportunity to go in and digitize these processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's the it's the you know I think 2022 or 2020 is uh, become fascinating, both in terms of just the amount of change that's happening in the world around just the economy, health, business process, everything. But then at the same time, I think we're also at a tipping point where, you know, pretty much every organization has either moved something to the cloud or is in the process of moving everything to the cloud. And we've seen this giant proliferation of uh, cloud-based platforms like Azure, like AWS, et cetera, but then also this adoption of SaaS-based solutions like Office 365, Dynamics 365, Salesforce, et cetera. And that ability to now have standardized uh, cloud platforms with APIs that you can then um, use with a low-code, no-code environment and access in a programmatic way and a standard connector way, you know, that that also I think is it's the confluence of both the need to make change and 
the standardization on the cloud that's happening that's really enabling this sort of low-code, no-code revolution. Yeah, it really is such a perfect time for all of this to be occurring. I hate to even say it that way, but it's the perfect time for it to be occurring. I mean, with the proliferance of 365 effectively being on everybody's desktop. So now you've got this, and it's not just like everyone's running Exchange in their office. They're running a common platform that has interconnective capabilities, that has that cloud now able to connect to your business cloud where your your power platform runs, like you said, through common APIs and through common connectors. And I think even more importantly, all of that through a common security model, which everybody's worried about these days, which they should be worried about these days. Yeah. Yeah. And then the security and the compliance aspect, I think is key because, you know, every organization's worried, hey, it's great. I can give you access to the APIs of my data, but how do you not build an app that basically sucks the data out of my CRM system and posts it somewhere else? And, and so balancing this trade-off of you want to empower citizen developers and at the same time, you want to make sure that you can still meet your security and compliance requirements. That's, you know, that if you can get that balance right, it's incredibly powerful. But if you get it wrong, it's also incredibly scary. And so that's, you know, that's been our kind of focus with the power platform has been, you know, it's uh, enable the productivity and at the same time, you know, have the data loss protection capabilities, have the alerting and threat protection capabilities. And you know, honor the DRM and rights protection that mm-hmm. you apply on your data and just have it be implicitly part of the workflow. And, and you know, I, I don't want to claim that we're perfect, um, but uh, I think we've got a good balance there in terms of having both the flexibility and the appropriate controls that hopefully provide that right balance that enables organizations to adopt it fast. Yeah. I think another aspect that is helping from an adoption perspective is that so much more, and I think you've even had some announcements lately, is being presented through Teams and that Teams being that one place. I mean, we're using it today so that we can see each other as we have our chat. Um, but imagine all of your your business, those rules, those um, you know, those applications showing up in that common location. Yeah. I mean, I think you know the whole world right now is going, or not the whole world, but pretty much the whole world is going through this experiment where you know we're all sort of sitting uh, doing video conferencing to connect to our peers in the organization with our customers. And so, you know, in, in many ways, we become far more digital in terms of our meetings, which was often the thing that we previously weren't very digital on. Um, and, you know, Teams for Office 365 customers is obviously the scaffolding that they're sort of living their lives through right now. And we've got literally hundreds of millions of people that are doing sitting, you know, every day or at least every month inside Teams. And so, Part of what we try to do with both power um, apps, uh, which lets you build low-code, no-code application front ends, yeah. uh, but also Power BI and Power Virtual Agent, which allows you to build chatbots and mm-hmm. automated bots, is embed them inside Teams. And so, you know, this ability to have a meeting or to work with a customer or take advantage of a business process and use that same team scaffolding that you're using to see and talk to people and chat with people um, to digitize business processes. I think that that also is very timely. And, you know, so many of the business problems, if you can surface them in a meeting or you can surface them in a easy, accessible chat-based way, you know, that, that just makes it, you know, that, much uh, easier for an organization to get business value because it's front and center and it just feels natural. They're not, they're not learning a new user interface. Mm-hmm. It's 
they're already spending an awful lot of their time in today. And I think even post COVID, we're going to see a lot more people using Teams on a regular basis. And I think we're going to see this hybrid work model proliferate over the next couple of years. And, and I think low code, no code is perfect to take advantage of that. Absolutely. One of the things I'm, I'm really hoping is that all of the time where we've been locked in our bedrooms and offices at home, that uh, that our, once we're back in an office in some fit or fashion, that those folks who are remote will be more of a first-class citizen in the meeting. In the past, you know, it's too often, too easy to turn our backs on the screen on the wall while we had a conversation with the person next to us. And I think yeah. we'll be a little more sensitive to that in the future. Totally. So, so the other thing though, so our audience who listens to uh, the Cloud Talk podcast or IT decision makers. And so one of the things I think it's also incumbent on us to call out is it's not just the business going wild out there creating things because they're doing it, uh, like I use your your phrase, uh, used about teams, under the scaffolding of their IT um, uh, plans around data protection, around security, around authentication, but also around their existing development staff. Because low-code, no-code doesn't mean they these folks exist on an island. They do the stuff that's business sensitive, but they're oftentimes uh, there, there's some, may some heavy lifting to be done in in the dev side. That last mile, that last ten percent, um, and in this model, um, an effectively deployed model, you've got your IT department, you've got your developers, and your citizen uh, developers who are working kind of in concert together. Yeah, and, it, and it's you know the key thing I think with low code, no code is getting the balance right, not just on the security front, but also. You know, what is business logic that someone pastes into a front end versus yeah. what's the logic that really belongs in the back end and as an API? Yeah. And, you know, I think historically, you know, like we've all seen, you know, like it's the VBA macro that is 20,000 lines of code, which is a kind of a scary thing. And it's being emailed around the organization. And you're kind of like, well, what, you know, what, what's yeah. going on? And so, you know, we've tried to, with Power Platform, really address that and, you know, with Power Apps, for example, you don't create client-side code. We do have a sort of a simple way to do Excel-like macros. Mm-hmm. But instead, what we really push is you should call an API for any substantial business logic. And that's something we kind of build into the platform so that we kind of enforce that good design pattern. And then what we've done is made it really easy to build an API uh, using Visual Studio and using Azure. And mm-hmm. so you can basically have a professional developer team that builds a you know API and publishes it into Azure. We have an API management gateway in Azure that you can uh, put in front of that API, and we wire it all up with Azure Active Directory for authentication. And then it just shows up as an API in the gallery in Power Apps, and then a citizen developer can access it and use it. And that again, I think, gives you the benefit of having the professional developers build the functionality that are talking to the tier one database that are doing the logic or transaction flow. And at the same time, people that, that can effectively assemble UI and assemble workflows call that again, in a governance based way. And then what we've done, you know, just to make it even easier is, you know, power apps and power automate are now licensed as part of teams. And so every Office 365 customer has Teams. And so you can use them for free inside Teams at no charge for hundreds of thousands of users if you want to. And then what we announced at our Ignite conference last month is you can now call those Azure APIs also for free with that. And so you can effectively create legions of low-code, no-code developers that are publishing Teams-based apps, calling your 
APIs on the back end inside Azure. And those APIs can be hosted serverlessly. So they can literally cost, you know, pennies per month if they aren't used that often. And you have that whole governance model end to end with a common security and compliance story that gives you the governance you need. And, you know, that, that we find really resonates. Uh, and hopefully in this time where, you know, every company is trying to get more done with less budget, you know, also really helps in terms of both the ROI and the value, but also in terms of not requiring any additional cost. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? And, you know, it's a great call out of the fact that that for those that are listening who are, are still scratching their head are going, why now? Why is this exploding so much? Why does Gartner say that, you know, was it 50 million apps or, or more applications are going to be written in the next five years than were written in the previous 40 years of computing? Um, it's what you're talking about. It's the fact that you think about five years ago, Scott, if somebody wanted, you went to IT and knocked on their door and asked them for an API, uh, that they could use in their application, regardless of what that might be, or for Excel to connect to an API to do a thing, that would uh, require a pretty serious project, we, uh, an allocation of resources. New gear would probably have to be ordered in and figure out how that all fits into the business logic of the organization. But now, through through the cloud, through Azure, and the ability to create um, very simple uh, or very complex APIs and have them published in a standardized way through source control, through all of the right resources and in a transactional based uh, uh, consumed model it becomes quite simple. Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, I think we're going to see over the next couple of years, more digital transformation period happen in the world, you know, both because of what's happening with COVID and then also again, you know, the rise of the cloud and rise of this technology and, yeah, loco no code is going to be key to enabling that digital transformation. Absolutely. Before we continue, here's some information on some upcoming events. Rackspace Technology remains committed to using our position as the global leader in multi-cloud to empower you through technology to deliver the future. One way we do this is through the Solve Strategy Series. The Solve Strategy Series is a monthly collection of global roundtable events happening throughout the second half of 2020. These events feature industry influencers, experts, technologists, and leaders covering a variety of topics, including cloud security, AI and ML, multi-cloud strategy, and cloud native enablement. These roundtables always have an industry expert as the moderator, like Cheryl Hung, the VP of Ecosystem at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, or Jack Aldrich, author and global futurist, to name a few. And they are joined by a panel of experts in their fields to engage in thought-provoking and timely conversations. These events are free, but you do have to register. And if you miss one, they're available on demand. Just head over to solve.rackspace.com and click the link for Solve Strategy Series. And now, back to the conversation. So, so a, a question that just comes to mind on that, as you think about then, now we have people in the business where I think in the not too distant future, there will be an expectation that they have to be the ability to stitch together simple solutions to get their job done. Whether that's 100% of the, the workforce or whether it's a, a percentage, what do you think that means to folks who are in school today? So, so, so take somebody who's going down a traditional you know, business path. They're not a computer science um, student. They're not in the developer program. Uh, what can they be doing to prepare to make sure that they are ready to be a digital citizen inside of an organization and create value? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, the analogy I'd maybe use would be like pivot tables. Uh, 
maybe not everyone can do a pivot table, but an awful, you know, millions of people in the world can do pivot tables. And if you work with Excel and if you work with numbers, um, it's kind of sort of assumed that you know how to do a pivot table or at least charting of some type and visualization of some type. And I think that'll be similar with some of these low code, no code solutions. Um, everyone will be able to consume them. And then an awful lot, maybe 60% of the world or 50% of the IT professionals will be able to build them at least, I think. Um, what we're doing to try to help with that is we have what we call the Microsoft Learn platform. Uh, it's You go to our website, just search on Microsoft Learn, and it's a free set of learning resources um, and a uh, set of modules. Uh, it's gamified, so you can earn badges. Or if your company really wants it, you can even take certifications and get a compliance certification. But you know, without paying anything, you can get you know free online tests and badges and points. And it's I mean, we're trying to make learning fun and frankly feel like the 21st century. And so instead of it being a long book that you take. You know, it, it's short modules and it's um, kind of uh, designed for kind of YouTube packable like learning behavior. So spend a few minutes here and there. And, uh, you know, we've got great learning paths now for Power BI, for Power Apps, for Power Automate, Power Virtual Agent. And definitely encourage if you want to learn more. And, uh, you know, we're doing this with academia. We're doing this with all of our big customers. You know, you know uh, encourage, check out Microsoft Learn and, you um, uh, I think we can train you to be a low-code, no-code expert quickly. That's fantastic, as it should be. Low-code, no-code should also mean, you know, low effort to get into it as well. So so great for having that. So so with your title um, also having AI in it, not just the Azure bits, but the AI stuff, how does that play into low-code, no-code, um, whether now or maybe some thoughts about the future? Yeah, I think, you know, what we've seen with AI is, you know, there's, there's a core set of, data science capabilities that really do require that you have some degree of statistical or data science background. Um, and, and that's great. And, and there are going to be people and organizations that, that focus on that and add value. You know, where I think the majority of us get value from AI is from models that are already built by the people or by models that have been built that can be easily adapted and trained without us having to be data science experts. And that's where I think low code, no code comes into play. And so, you know, whether it's in say Power BI, where you can take, uh, you know, chart data from anything, a spreadsheet or a SQL database or a Teradata data warehouse. And, you know, you can, in a single click, effectively say, apply uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, show me insights and it will apply inferencing and boosted trees and a whole bunch of data science you might not actually understand, but it will look at the data and basically highlight to you, hey, you know, your supply chain is showing delays uh, based on the historical data and automatically highlight that for you. And again, allow you to apply AI in an easy way. And that some of those are built in AI modules, but again, what's nice is Similar to kind of how I mentioned you can access APIs, you can access models trained by and built by your organization and drop them into not just Power BI, but also Power Apps, Power Automate, and Power Virtual Agent. And with our Power Apps model, we also have built-in things like computer vision. And so we have retailers that are now building Power Apps and they're training, for example, the building the app, the ability to take a picture, and you can do that with no code. And you can then apply an AI model and, for example, retailers that are looking for shelf optimizations. 
and shelf stocking compliance. You know, in other words, is this brand of the product uh, positioned correctly versus that brand? You know, that, that you can do with low code, no code, all with AI built in. Uh, we also have built-in models for doing form recogni- recognizers. So if you've got a printed worksheet, uh, you know, like a, a traditional paper form, uh, we can actually do OCR on that form. Uh, so you simply take a picture with your phone and the Power App can automatically um, take the data and digitize it into a written form. Uh, and, you know, we've got a large retailer in the U.S. as an example, and they're estimating now they're saving $25 million a year simply by replacing what was previously faxes and someone typing in uh, with a simple OCR capability, and it required no code. I mean, it's a, just it's a built-in feature of Power Apps. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, again, this ability to apply AI is something that's just going to be standard going forward. Yeah. So the, the art of the possible for the business itself is it's really the sky's the limit at this point. If they can look at a process and envision a better way to pull it together, to utilize AI on the back end to help make uh, collate decisions or, or at least information so that humans can make decisions to create applications, then to action on that. You know, it's a great example, but for the company that hasn't started yet, let's talk about some strategies of how to dip in. I think you, you've already said the first one, go to learn, you know, Microsoft Learn and come up to speed on the tool set. Um, but what are some strategies and then how to harness that over time? I'd probably recommend to, to someone who's listening, um, you know, just brainstorm in your next team meeting, uh, especially if it's over close. Um, you know, what, what is something that you're doing today in email? And, and I'd really look at what are the workflows that are email-driven today and document-driven, either in a spreadsheet or a Word doc, and ask yourself, okay, what if we automated it? Um, let's just build a simple workflow that says when an email arrives with this subject, let's kick off a workflow and let's take the spreadsheet and let's pull out the value and let's do something with it. And, you know, and, and you probably have a CRM system. It's probably either Dynamics 365 or Salesforce. There's a connector for that. Uh, you probably have, you know, your uh, documents being stored as a SharePoint or OneDrive or, or uh, maybe Google Drive or Box. There's an API for that, and we have a connector built in. And, you know, even just simple stuff. Uh, someone emails you a spreadsheet. Okay, great. Pull the values out. Save it in a different file or save it in your CRM system. You know, if that takes a couple minutes a day and you apply it over dozen people that actually adds up over a week to save you a couple hours of productivity. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think we're tackling simple problems and, and solving it with the domain expertise of the people that are closest to the problem and then rinse and repeat and go and, and that's a good way to get started. We do see organizations over time for those that are say CIOs or, uh, teams often create centers of excellence that can kind of train and help individual departments start to adopt low code, no code. That's maybe more of a best practice once you've got maybe a, a few wins underneath your belt that you might want to consider. But, you know, an awful lot of our um, even biggest customers that have been successful at Power Apps and Power BI, it often started with one person who had an idea or saw a problem and automated it. And, um, so don't, you know, this isn't something that needs, a, uh, you know, a CIO on high to make a call. You know, I, I would re- definitely recommend starting to adopt it. And, you know, again, if, if you are using 
uh, Office 365 customer, you know, again, included with Teams, you already have Power Apps and Power Automate. You don't need to buy anything. You don't need to pay anything more. Uh, you just need to start using it. Well, and you guys have been great about showcasing some of your customers who uh, who have done some pretty amazing things with just individuals down inside of the business. Uh, I think of it, it, uh, Inspire the year before you had you had an individual there from South America who literally was looking at manufacturing process and said, "I think I could write something for this." And lo and behold, saved you know incredible value that happened there. Or construction companies uh, where people recognized, you know what, we could probably schedule this a little bit better, uh, and found a way to do it uh, and save tons of opportunity, uh, t- tons of. Yeah, one of the hero stories we like to tell and, and have shared is. Uh, uh, an employee at Heathrow Airport, and he worked in the uh, security line where you, know, when you go through X-rays, uh, and um, uh, and he did never never went to college, had no IT degree, uh, but uh, saw a problem, which is how do you do shift changes? How do you actually manage breaks? And you know, for many of us who have stood in a uh, airport security screening line, you've probably all experienced. Uh, the delays that sometimes happen. And, uh, you know, they were managing it in a spreadsheet. Um, and he said, hey, you know what? I, I want to try out this Power Apps thing. And on the weekend, he built an app and a workflow and brought it in and they started using it. And it had a huge success. I mean, it, it basically become the, became the standard at Heathrow Airport. And, uh, you know, he's subsequently been promoted and he now leads the Power Apps uh, Center of Excellence for Heathrow Airport. And, um, you know, I, I love that because it's it's not someone who asked him to do this. It was just someone who saw, hey, there's a spreadsheet. I bet I can make I, I'm sure there's something better than spreadsheet and email. Uh, it solved this business problem and he solved it and became the hero of that organization. And isn't that just, I mean, isn't that why we got into, into tech? And that was because you could see this as a tool. Now we're technologists, so technology is fun to play with anyway. But as a tool to be an enabler for individuals, whether that's whether that's large organizations, commercial organizations, whether they're nonprofits, whether they're, doesn't matter what it is, is, is I think that this represents, the low-code, no-code represents such a, an enabler and a transformer of the way everything happens today. And I think it's going to really be, uh, expected in the coming years that people actually look for and apply these sorts of changes inside of their organizations. At least the ones are going to get promoted anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting to see. And I think, um, you know, at Microsoft, you know, one of the things that we've always really celebrated is, you know, how do we try to make heroes out of um, uh, everyone inside IT? And, and, you know, this is a great way to, to really have an impact inside an organization and really be a hero. And, uh, you know, I think that is great for the organizations you work for, but it's also great for you. And, um, you know, I think that that can really be a win-win and, uh, you know, something I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, just how it, it helps in the years ahead. Incredible. Scott, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to sit down and, and talk about this. It's uh, massive. And just to reiterate what we'd said earlier, it would not at all be possible if it wasn't for the hard work that specifically you and the team have done in creating this inf- this global infrastructure of Azure. And then, of course, the end tooling as well. But um, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today and uh, and to share with us. No, thanks so much, Jeff. And uh, it's been great to be here and uh, really appreciate uh, the chance to chat. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 
And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Isn't it amazing how long it can sometimes take technology to reach the point of wide-scale adoption? And low-code, no-code is certainly an example of that. And I think it's completely tied to the evolution of the modern hyperscale cloud, which powers so much of it. A huge thank you to Scott for taking the time to join today's episode. Now, you heard the ad for the Solve Strategy Series earlier, but our next one is November 12th, all focused on cloud native enablement, which will be moderated by Cheryl Hung, VP over at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. I hope you can make it. Now, here's what's in store for you in our next episode of Cloud Talk, where we continue the Founders Series. If you're Walmart, if you're New York Life, you know, MetLife, whatever insurance company, those companies were never started with the ambition of building a data center. You know, no one ever started any business in their right mind to think, I need a building full of hardware and software and cooling and power. That's what we really is going to make us stand out from a crowd. However, over time, of course, the applications, the business logic, you know, how you run the business using that functionality is core to your business. But the underlying stuff never was. And that's next week on Clown Talk.